It's a Thursday afternoon, which means it gives me enormous pleasure to say hello, Rebecca Davis. Hello, John. I too am such a big fan of evidence. I can't tell you. We should make a Facebook group or something. (laughs) Yeah, I think we should. (laughs) And we shouldn't invite Iqbal Survey to join it, should we? No, we can't, John. We simply can't. I can't believe we are back here, John. I cannot believe we are back here, but here we are. Let me tell you, when I heard that Iqbal Survey was giving a press conference yesterday to reveal some explosive findings about the latest in the Kambisa 10, the decouplet saga from June this year, I eagerly volunteered to cover it. Do you know why, John? Because I thought it would be funny. I actually thought it would be funny. I thought I would roll around laughing, listening to some outlandish, weird story. Because I was prepared for it to be implausible, whatever was presented. But actually, it wasn't funny at all. That's the problem. It also began the press conference by saying, in fact, it would be a sad and sordid story. And it was. It really, really was. Just not for the reasons he thought. His claim that the babies born to Hotsiyama Sitole have been stolen as some part of a state-sanctioned baby trafficking scandal... Again, it might be humorous if it weren't that this is part of a current global misinformation scandal of the kind you've been referring to, exactly the same kind, to do with anti-vaccination information. And this one is about QAnon. QAnon, which you and I have discussed at length, and I know that unfortunately you do have listeners who subscribe to the QAnon belief. QAnon holds that there is a cabal of powerful people who are stealing babies and trafficking them and using their body parts for sinister means. This is exactly what Iqbal Survey claims is happening at Gauteng State Hospital. He has just sort of localized what purpose the babies are being put to. Real QAnoners say that their adrenal glands or something are being milked in order to keep celebrities young and healthy. Survey says that the babies are being trafficked to West Africa and Europe for Muti, for stem cell treatments and for use in cosmetic surgery. The problem is, John, is evidence, our E-word. He provided not one speck of evidence. In the course of, I mean, a rambling monologue, which probably took this whole press conference stretch over two and a half hours, which is longer than the briefing given by the ESCOM CEO and the public enterprise minister last night about the state of ESCOM. That is how long Iqbal Survey spoke, laying out this rambling theory about baby trafficking. So the question is, why should we care? Why should we give us any airtime at all? And honestly, John, I'm really in two minds about this because my, my feeling is that really we shouldn't, that it's time now to just draw a curtain over the saga and let it go. But it bothers me deeply, profoundly unsettles me, that we have the owner of the widest, newspaper, English language newspaper group in the country with an unprecedented reach who is now going to be devoting, he said, all his titles to this nonsense, this baby stealing nonsense, which either he or his journalists or whoever they have in their employ have cooked up in order to save face to protect themselves from the fallout relating from the fact that they published a fake news story regarding the 10 live births in Tembisa. That, it emerged, is not true. Nobody now claims that is true. We all know that is not true. And instead of leaving it like that, just taking the loss and slinking off, 
we are now being forced as a country to be put through this absurd and dishonest rigmarole, which can only lead to toxic effects, John. He is claiming that doctors in the public health system, that state hospitals in a hugely overburdened medical system, are stealing babies. I mean, that is an astonishingly vicious claim to make without a shred of evidence. We all know the horror stories of the conditions under which medical staff at state hospitals have to labor, especially during a pandemic. Now, to make matters worse, they must be subjected to these absurd claims, which are spreading like wildfire across the internet. I mean, one, one just wonders, what will it take to hold this man accountable for this duplicity? I mean, it, it's almost as if he's, he's decided that his titles are never going to regain any credibility from vaguely rational potential readers of his titles, and therefore the only way to to keep them going is to become some kind of um, some kind of amalgam of the National Enquirer and Breitbart News, and and put out stuff which is so bizarre that it will land comfortably in the laps of the increasing number of people who are drawn to outlandishness. That's exactly right, Don. And it reminds me of the report a few years ago about Internet scammers who said that they deliberately use kind of obvious mistakes and implausible stories because they recognize that the use of that will weed out rational people who will instantly know it is a fake, thus leaving them with their target audience who are credulous, um, often less educated, ignorant people. That seems to me to be... To be Iqbal Survey's MO here too, that he is abandoning all pretense of rationality in the hope basically that all rational observers will exit the conversation and his titles will be simply preaching to the converted. There's no way of holding them accountable because as we know, they are not part of the press council. The only way to show Iqbal Survey what, you know, the kind of contempt in which we should hold him in these actions is by not buying his newspapers and not clicking on his website, IOL. One last thing, if I may, Rebecca, before we move on. What really disturbs me about this is that there is a sad and almost certainly wretchedly unhappy woman at the centre of this. There is a woman, Miss mm. Sitole, to whom something happened, who who went along, who created something or went along with something. We have no idea what the truth of this is. There was the only bit of evidence laid on the table yesterday was that there was evidence of her having been pregnant and evidence of her having had a caesarean section. And, and this, is, this is a woman who needs help, who needs holding, who needs succor. And she has become a pawn in, in this absurd power credibility game there's something so venal and outrageous about the fact that Iqbal Survey had the gall to sit there yesterday and say it is other media outlets it is the South African public it is Nando's who have made a laughing stock of this woman now who have subjected her to so much unnecessary stress when we know that it is only because of Iqbal Survey because of his editor Peter Ampedi that we know this woman's name at all that it is they who insisted on thrusting her into a spotlight 
to which she was clearly unaccustomed and clearly not entitled, frankly, by virtue of the fake news. And it is them who are now refusing to deal with the consequences of that. They should be ashamed of themselves. This is exploitation, pure and simple. And on that note, move on. We are in the last stages of official campaigning for the local government election vote, which happens on Monday. Are there standout moments for Rebecca Davis? Oh, John, actually quite a few. I mean, I think because this election season has been sort of telescoped into such a short period compared to normal, it seems like there's been more absurdity than usual. I think possibly my favorite, most absurd story to come out of this election season was the sudden mysterious appearance of former DA leader Musi Maimane on posters around the southern suburbs, which turned out, of course, to be the result of the Cape Muslim Congress having bought all DA posters from a businessman, slapped their stickers on them, and then had their stickers either flake off or been removed by mischief makers, revealing Musi's face once more. I mean, there's just such a, a wonderful metaphor there also about the lingering presence or absence of Musi Maimani and the effects that might have on the DA. Um, I enjoyed the flagrant attempt to successful to bribe King Dalin Jebo, who has got to be the most shameless political operative in this country. He's been with the DA, he's been with the ANC, and this time around he has pinned his colours to the EFF mask because they have promised him a massive car, which is apparently not being produced anyway. But it was just such a shameless bribe giving and taking. And speaking of which, in 2019, you might recall, we saw ANC's then Secretary General Ace Magasule giving a woman in Philippines 400 rand. When he saw that her fridge was empty, he reached into his wallet personally and gave her two crisp 200 rand notes. Well, this season, the ANC stepped it up a notch. Sir Ramaphosa went to visit a 75-year-old woman in the Free State who was thereafter presented with a 10,000 rand checkers shopping voucher. Now, vote buying is, of course, illegal, John, as we all know. And it would be totally remiss of me to suggest there's any connection between that gift and the fact that the gogo in question later said she would be voting for the ANC. Perhaps one more, if I might. I love the promise by Gayton McKenzie's Patriotic Alliance that if elected to power, the party intends to legalize spinning. Not the thing you do at the gym, the motorsport involving driving cars at speed in circles, often at parties. And I love that even more, John, because the Patriotic Lounge co-founder, Kenny Kunene, in fact had an accident in December last year when he was hanging out of a car window while it was driving around at speed. I imagine everyone involved in the scenario was possibly inebriated. And he fell out of the car and hurt himself. That notwithstanding, the PA says, vote for us and we're going to legalize spinning. I mean, you do not get a more fun election promise than that. And uh, then I simply do not believe the third and final story that you wanted us to chat about this afternoon, that it is possible to have too much sleep. That cannot be true. John, 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 sleep affluence. What a wonderful malady. Sweet sleep affluence, it turns out, can be just as damaging to you as too little sleep. I agree. This is enraging news, actually, because we've all been told for years and years that you have to get eight hours of sleep a night, and if you're not, then your brain gets all, like, poisoned and confused. No, it now turns out, according to a new report, that there is such a thing as getting too much sleep. Now, in my experience, John, I don't mean to 
to to to tar all elderly people with the same brush. But many oldies, in my experience, are early to bed and early to rise. Turns out that they need to be either early to bed or early to rise, but not both, because the sweet spot for them is getting between five and a half and seven and a half hours of sleep. Otherwise, the ra- the the Risk of dementia is raised. That's for people over 75. Now, John, for a youngster like yourself, aged just over 45, you too need to be getting about between six and eight hours a night, but not more than that, or can raise the risk of heart disease, diabetes, anxiety, and obesity. All of which I suffer from, so I can blame it to poor sleeping in the past, can I? (laughs) Well, at least we have a diagnosis there, John. That's what we're talking about, evidence. I like the way you said that word. Evidence! I will take that with me into the weekend and into the local government elections. Rebecca Davis, thank you very much indeed.